So what is heaven going to be like? We all know the answer to that, right? We could rattle that off right now. We all feel confident about that. We know exactly what heaven is going to be like, right? Now, I sense, I sense a little bit of nervousness there with that question. What is heaven going to be like? If we went around the room, and we're not going to do that, just so you know, like you can take a deep breath, but if we went around the room with each individual or if online everybody left a comment and said, hey, this is what heaven is going to be like, this is what I know to be true, we'd get a pretty good mix of responses, I think. I think we'd get some shared ideas, and so we'd, we'd have some repetition there, but we'd also get some unique ideas, probably most of which are going to be hopes rather than answers we know for sure. For example, I hope that in heaven I will be able to step in and out of time. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Maybe that sounds a little bit unique, but I would love to be able to go and experience different points of human history that have happened through, throughout the world. And some of you are like, no, heaven's not going to be like that at all. Well, I, I think it is. I think, I think you're going to be able to do that in heaven. And we're going to finally know, not that this is something that keeps me up uh, at night, but we're going to finally know, like, why is Stonehenge there? What, what were they doing? What was that? Was it a big clock? I mean, was it, was it some other, other thing that they, were, that they were doing there? But we'd be able to find stuff like that out. So that's, that's one of the things I believe heaven is going to be like. I'm going to be able to, you know, step in and out of time and experience human history. I think that'll be pretty cool. Of course, there would be all kinds of answers, and that could be completely wrong. You know, some of our answers, might, that might not be true at all. The Bible doesn't actually really talk a whole lot about heaven. That may sound strange because it's like, oh man, that's, that's one of our big hopes, right? That's the thing that we want to go to. That's why Jesus came is so we could go to heaven. So that's the biggest thing, right? But it really doesn't talk a whole lot about heaven, at least not in the details and things that we would like to know. Scripture talks about the longing we have for heaven, the peace that we can live in on this side of heaven because we know life within the presence of God is waiting for us, but we want some details, Right? And the afterlife is a fascinating subject. In pop culture, it shows up as a regular theme. Every religious belief system has its own ideas that provide little interesting tidbits that people often combine together and kind of make up their own idea of what things are going to look like. So you go from reincarnation to Valhalla. That sounds like it could be fun for a little bit. I don't know about for an eternity. Uh, to Nirvana, to that bright white puffy cloud with a gate and a harp version of heaven that has become so iconic, which doesn't exist. So heaven is not us becoming angels. We don't get wings and we don't float on clouds playing harps for an eternity. Now you could connect some of the dots as to why that has become popular in our thinking. So the word heaven, for example, in Hebrew refers to three different things. And so you kind of have to know the context in which it's talking about. Heaven refers to the sky, so where those puffy white cloud things are, where the rain comes from. It also refers to space, so that area where the sun and the moon and stars and other planets are. And it also refers to the presence where, of God, where God, the place where God dwells. And places, these, all three of these places have been held in awe and reverence throughout human history because of their expanse and unknowability throughout human history. And yes, I know we can study some information about the sky and space, uh, but don't dismiss the wonder that they still engender. And when it comes to the place where God is, that's even further out of reach for our imagination because no one has been there and back to describe it. And yes, I, I know that there are books out there and movies, but no one has been there and come back to describe it to us. With the exception of visions from a small number of Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah, 
and the bulk of descriptions from John that we read from Revelation. So we're going to read from Revelation chapter 21 here in just a few minutes. And over the centuries, we've tried to fill in the blanks as best we can because it satisfies a curiosity. We want to know. We want to convince other people to come with us. And perhaps, most of all, we want to assure ourselves that it's actually somewhere we want to go. Which maybe that sounds strange, but did you know that not everybody is interested in going to heaven because of their conception of what heaven is and what they've heard maybe sometimes even in church or maybe the impression that they've been given? Depending, and to be honest, depending on you know, what your answer or what an answer to the question what will heaven be like might be, there are some popular versions of ideas of heaven that I'm not interested in. Is that okay for me to say as a, as a pastor? Hopefully, because I've already said it. For example, what do you think of when someone says heaven is going to be an eternity of us all together worshiping God. Now, some of you have just gone through this whole thing where you've been like, that's a little disappointing. And I get that. I'm, I'm kind of there with you, actually. See, growing up for me in the church, we had this thing called a singspiration. You guys familiar with that? And it happened every fifth Sunday. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. My wife, Renee, she hooked me up. She's like, I, I, know, what you're, I know where you're going, so at least... One person will get, the, will get the picture here. But let me explain to you what I'm talking about. So every fifth Sunday, on a Sunday evening, you would get area churches together, and they would all come, and you would sing hymns together, and each church would bring somebody that would sing a special music, all right? And the specialness of the music was not always based on, like, the quality. If, if you catch my drift, I mean, it was special often for all the wrong reasons. And so when somebody says, we're going to spend an eternity worshiping God, if that's your conception of what worship is, that's enough to scare the heaven out of you, right? <laughs> Even though we know intellectually that worship in the Bible is never described or never relegated to just singing and instrumentation, or even the entirety of what happens within a worship service that we're gathering together. You know, it's a specific type of worship that we're gathered together here this morning, like what we're participating in now, but it's not the entirety of what worship is. So there's some mistaken identities associated with heaven, and hell too, for that matter. Some people think that the desirability of where they go after death is based on where you assume the people you want to be with are and that you're going to be able to share in relationships the way that you would like to. So you might hear someone say something like, I'd actually prefer to be in hell because that's where my friends are. Despite the, is that funny? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. A little bit nervous laughter there, right? That's where my friends are going to be. Despite the fact that in hell, we're, there, there's the absence of God's presence, therefore the absence of friendship. And maybe that's a, a new way, and maybe that's a way that you're not familiar with, but that's how... Scripture describes hell. There's, there's no goodness of God there because God's presence isn't there. So there's not going to be any friendship. There's not going to be any time spending, you know, with, with people. I've also heard people say that fully ceasing to exist, so being annihilated, is preferable for the eventual boredom that is assumed must be set in for living for eternity. Because sometimes we talk about something lasting for an eternity like in a, in a negative way. I mean, this... This is taking forever, you know, you know I wish, I wish this, this would hurry up, it's lasting for an eternity. But that's also kind of a strange concept, considering the idea of heaven presented in scripture is that anything that produces weariness is gone. So that's not even, that concept doesn't even match with how heaven is described. So not only are these ideas wrong, there's not really a real reason for anyone to think them. They're just cultural ideas that we've gathered together over the years as we've piecemealed stuff, really because we're not familiar with a scriptural conception of what heaven actually is. 
Again, to be fair, we don't know everything about what heaven will be like. And, and honestly, I think that's because we don't have the capacity to comprehend it. If God spent pages and pages and pages of scripture, and, and we would have a much longer uh, collection of writings in, than the 66 books of the Bible if he did this, and explained every uh, detail of what heaven is going to be like, or every detail of every, everything that he's ever done, we wouldn't have the capacity to even comprehend that. Some of the heaven imagery that we do read and can study in scripture sounds strange to us because it's hard to imagine a dimension of reality that we can't wrap our finite minds around because heaven eternity is infinite. God is infinite. I doubt very seriously that we, it would make a difference at all in our lives if God explained every single detail. Quite frankly, what we, we make what he's already told us about how to live life way more complicated than it has to be already. So while we not, need not be obsessed with the details, when we know what heaven is like, our longing to live there is going to inspire how we live here. And there's this in, inextricable link that God has created between the two, uh, two lives that we will experience, both the finite one here and the infinite one in the life to come. And so while Peter is not at the pearly gates in the clouds waiting to give us wings, our text that we started using last week, Revelation chapter 21, gives us a glimpse of what we will experience. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, that's Revelation for you, you know, how, bad of a, how, about, how good of a start of, is that as a sentence, came and said to John, who's writing Revelation and who's receiving these visions, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And you can check out some more details in the following verses, but I'm going to jump down to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, referring to Jesus, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So in answer to the question, what is heaven like, if you ever have somebody come up and ask you this, you can let them know, well, heaven is like a city. Well, actually, it's not just like a city. Heaven is, is a city, a city that comes down, that God bring, brings down to the new earth. The new heaven and new earth made possible by the resurrection of Jesus and the new creation life that we talked about last week. So we don't actually go up to heaven. Heaven actually is brought down to us by God, which began with the person, the work of Jesus Christ, the making new of what we made broken in life. And so if you think about all the way back at the beginning when God created the world, God created the world in a perfect existence. Sin is the thing that broke what God created. He created the universe. He created the earth and everything in it. He created humanity, not because he had to or not because he needed to, but because he wanted to share the joy of existence with us. And so we started in a perfect garden. Our free will got in the way, however, 
and paradise became inaccessible. So we labor in a sin-broken world. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it points out, John points out that nothing impure will ever enter this new heaven and new earth. In other words, sin will not be represented there in any form. And one of the amazing things about what heaven is going to be like is, is based on what won't be there. Our clues to what life after death will look like are all around us in the life we're living now, with some eternity-altering exceptions. This past week, we've had some amazingly beautiful days, as Sarah pointed out. I mean, the weather has been incredible. Last night was exceptionally gorgeous uh, out, out our way. The weather was amazing, and I've been able to enjoy it for the most part, other than the itchy eyes and the runny nose and the sneezy sneezes and all that kind of stuff because of the tree pollen. I mean, it's been everywhere. I was driving somewhere, and somebody pulled out with a black sedan, and just as they started going, just the cloud, of ye- a yellow cloud just wafted off, off, and it just, you know, my eyes started twitching. In heaven, though, in heaven, no allergies. Have I, yeah, are, are we there? Like, uh, mind blown. I mean, that's all I need to know. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. There's going to be no allergies. There'll be no pandemics, no politics, no need for doctors or lawyers or police or jail or even preachers. Ain't going to need them in heaven. No armies. While every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented, there's going to be no prejudice, no dividing lines, no need for borders. There's going to be no guilt, no shame, no regret, no worry, no stress or anxiety, no anger, no need to be concerned about finances or poor working or living conditions. There's going to be no physical or mental health concerns or limitations in heaven. There's going to be no weddings, funerals, Divorces, broken dreams, murder, theft, no weariness, no cynicism, no temptation. We could keep going, but hopefully in your imagination, there's a new reality being shaped that maybe you've thought about before, but don't conceptualize often. But heaven is life as God designed for us and desires for us to experience. And he promises that it's going to be so because of what he's done for us through Jesus. And so without any of these broken things in existence, imagine what life then is like. When you take away all the evil that exists in the world, the the things that have been broken by sin, and reintroduce all of the goodness that God has created us for and for us. A perfect body and a perfect world. In Core 52, Mark Moore writes about this, and I like how succinctly he describes this, this reality of heaven. The implications are extraordinary. Imagine it, living with perfected bodies in a restored Eden. There will be agriculture and architecture, culture and art, plants, animals and entertainment, and all without sin. That's what the new earth will be like. Imagine how technologically advanced we would be if we weren't distracted by war, disease, crime, and disorder. Our eternal praise will not be merely singing, but producing new acts of art, work, accomplishment, and learning, and the list goes on. Most of the time when we talk about what we think heaven will be like, I think often we're just too limited in the scope of our imagination, how incredible it will will be. If you were to think about the best day that you've ever had, the best place that you've ever been, that will only be a shadow of what heaven will be like and what God has created for us to enjoy with him forever. 
Heaven coming down to earth will be the center of the perfect expression of existence because we will be with the one who created it and redeemed it. Every longing fulfilled. Imagine being able to live your life in the exact perfect expression of purpose and meaning in who you were designed to be and what you were designed to do with the perfect balance of meaningful work and rest and play with no time limits to steal away any of the joy that we get from any of it. Yes, I, I even said joy from, from work. We'll have an entirely different conception of the meaningfulness of what we do and how we live our lives there. Imagine perfect harmony of relationship. And not, not just with your spouse, not just with your kids, not with, just with your family or friends, but with everyone. With anyone. The time we'll be able to spend with loved ones and people we've never even known. A civilization in which there are no concerns whatsoever among its citizenry. The get-togethers are going to be amazing. Can you imagine the potlucks? You know, perfect food? Can you conceive of that? Like, always there that we don't have to labor over or be concerned about anyone ever not getting enough. Indescribably luxurious beauty in the new heaven, whose very streets are gold, and whose perfect views. Can you, can you imagine the most gorgeous place that you've ever been to in the world? And, and that paling in comparison to the new earth that God has always wanted us to, to experience. It will escape any ability of description. But more important than any of that, as amazing as all of that is, more important than any of that, there will no longer be any separation between us and our Creator and our Savior. And to me, this is the most astonishing and amazing part. And I think a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, depends on, on your understanding of who God is and the significance of what He's done for us through Jesus. But when the weightiness of the separation from God, our sin causes, sets in, the perfect removal of that is just overwhelming to me. That's what leaves me speechless, is to be directly in the presence of God. Heaven will be a better existence than we can imagine. And it's, it's a lot closer than we envision. In the scope of eternity, our lives are just a blink of an eye, a vapor. But our eternity, that, that's already begun. And the renewal and redemption of humanity that the world needs has already begun through Jesus. And participation, I mean, that's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. Participation, the renewal and redemption of Jesus is the purpose and meaning and worship that God has called us into. And we get to enter into that now. We're not just waiting for it then so we can just go to heaven. We're just hanging out in the meantime. No, we're participating in heaven now through Jesus. In the life to come, we won't be in choir robes with wings and harps and the clouds in the sky. Some of us are like, amen, you know. But we will be worshiping God together for eternity. Just as we are called to do so now in preparation for our life then. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's what heaven is going to be like. Us living within God's pleasing, perfect will. God created us for heaven. He redeemed us for heaven. And he's given us a glimpse of heaven so that we can begin to worship him with our lives here. And so that more of us might join in to the worship we will enjoy with him forever there.
And that's what heaven is going to be like. I can't wait for it. You know, as Paul says, to, to live is Christ, but to die, to die is gain, like we talked about last week. It's going to be an amazing place to look forward to, but it's also a place that inspires how we live our lives now, how we think about our relationships now, how we think about living in our world, our world now. It affects, it affects what choices we make, what relationships we have, and how we approach all of those things, because we know that there's a promise of God, of perfection waiting to be fulfilled for us on the other side of this life. And so what a joy it is to be able to share that with other people and to be able to invite them along with us through our lives. Let's pray together. God, help us to, if, if we maybe are not familiar with what heaven is going to be like or um, how it inspires our lives here, I would just ask that you give us a new concept of that through your Holy Spirit and how we're, we're called to approach this life and we start to live, uh, live in the new heaven and the new earth now. Like, that's what Jesus taught us. That's what he modeled for us is a different way of life and knowing the reality that we were always created for from the beginning. That as, we, that as we turn away from sin and walk more closely towards you, we start to see glimpses of that life that you, uh, that you call us to and design for us to be a part of, that you desire for us to be able to experience through you. God, we praise you for that. We, we are overwhelmed with the grace and mercy that you've shown uh, for us, for people who don't deserve uh, to experience this, but that, that you make it possible through your son, Jesus. We praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.